Welcome to Career EQ, a podcast series focused on helping students navigate the beginning and early stages of their business careers. Your host, John Quinn, is a senior lecturer and director of the Consumer Packaged Goods Immersion Program at the Fisher College of Business at The Ohio State University. In each episode, we dive into a topic facing young professionals in today's ever-changing business environment. While John may not be an expert in all those areas, his academic and corporate partner guests certainly are. That being said, let's dive into our topic for today and meet this episode's guests. We are all seeing the stories, companies making announcements about their new working arrangements for their employees. If you're about to start your career or in the early years of your career, you may have experienced a high degree of remote and flexible work. But what's the climate now and where is it going? It's such a timely and important topic we are doing a second episode on it. So we brought two more experts in to Career EQ to gain even more perspective. Our guests today are David Thompson, senior lecturer at the Fisher College of Business at The Ohio State University, and a workforce solutions specialist, Kathy Catcher, president of Career Life Alliance and co-founder of the Smart Workplace based out of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Welcome, Kathy. Tell us a little about yourself and what exactly is a workforce solutions specialist? Well, hello, and uh, thanks for having me. So as a workforce solutions specialist, it's a kind of a long and interesting name for somebody who just helps organizations rethink about when and where and how work gets done. Before the pandemic, there was a lot of policy development and trying to get the idea sold to organizations. And now that we're on the other side of it, I'm spending an awful lot of time doing some reverse engineering (laughs) And writing policies to get people to return to the office. So I'm, I am helping organizations with all of that. Oh, great. I think your perspective of working with those type of clients is going to be very helpful uh, when we talk about this topic for our students. And, you know, they're getting ready to start their professional careers. And some of our listeners are in the early throes of their professional careers. So it's going to be good to have that perspective. What is the Career Life Alliance and what inspired you to create the Smart Workplace? Well, Career Life Alliance is actually a company that I started way back in 1987. And at that time, there was a lot of women entering the workplace, women with children of all things, and organizations were reacting differently. And so my mission at that time was to help organizations create programs that supported women in the workplace. So it wasn't just workplace flexibility, but I also did uh, dependent care services and parenting education, and of course, a big focus on flexibility because that's what families need, whether it was in the 80s or today. And then, um, you know, the smart workplace, that's as as business changed over the decades, um, we really settled in on workplace flexibility as our core competency. And I met a woman named Trina Hofling, and she's the author of a book called working virtually, transforming the mobile workplace. And together we started developing resources for managers and employees because even though the workplace was changing, workplace behaviors weren't necessarily keeping pace. So we came up with some skill sets to help managers and employees be better connected in a place where everybody's working in different locations sometimes. Very cool. And also in the studio with us today is David Thompson. David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
Thank you, John. Um, yeah, so I've been a senior lecturer here at OSU, the Fisher College of Business, for the last year and a half. Um, but I come much more from a practitioner background. In fact, that's how I know Kathy, that we uh, worked together uh, with a professional association, World at Work. Um, we actually uh, were, I was also at that time, I think when we first probably met, I was working at Microsoft as their uh, work life manager and director of work life programs. And then through World at Work, we created the whole training program that was a certification program that would help uh, the companies and managers try to figure out how do you set up the policies and guidelines. Um, so a lot of different things. In fact, I actually uh, worked with Kathy for one of my major clients uh, several years ago. And in fact, this was that resource when we were there. I actually was sort of finishing up. That was uh, with BP outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. They were trying to move people from their um, suburban office and they wanted to move everybody downtown. And that was the sort of push, like they wanted more flexible work arrangements. Very good. So a uh, resource being Resource Interactive, yes. a digital agency mm-hmm. based here in Columbus, Ohio, that some years ago got bought out by IBM. So mm-hmm. now it's IBM IX. So Kathy, what is the general mindset of your clients on the topic of remote versus working in the office? What trends are you starting to see? Well, the, the one that I'm seeing most um, readily embraced is hybrid work. So that would be blending um, part of the time in the office and part of the time at home. Uh, there's a big disconnect in what that looks like, but um, my clients are landing right in the middle. I don't have anyone that's office first or anyone that's remote first organization. They're all looking for that kind of sweet spot where people are spending the time they need together and the time they need to focus uh, working from a location that's best for them. So how is that kind of the the landing spot? Why is that working for both employers and employees? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily working for both, but it's it's like a compromise, I imagine, because there are many organizations, and I'm sure you've seen the headlines. I want people in the office. We're mandating back to the office. Goldman Sachs, five days in the office. And employees are doing their own version of quiet noncompliance, I call it, um, and simply not going in. So uh, I think that is, like I said, that that's the compromise. That's the one where I think both parties can come to a bit of an agreement. John, if I could add on this too, it, it, the reason I brought this topic to you was I was thinking back my career 25 plus years ago when I was at Microsoft trying to write their flexible, flexible work arrangement policies is one of the big resistance factors to it, especially teleworking and remote work was, well, everyone's going to want to do it and no one's wanting to come in the office. And our research and everything we did when we talked to employees, they're like, no, that's not what they wanted. It was like one or two days a week where they didn't have to make the commute to come into the office. And so that's been going on for 25 plus years. The majority of people uh, want it sometime in the office, but also one or two days a week where they don't have to come in. But Kathy, I, this is where I w- was chatting with you last week, is, is is that part of the drive that employees really do want a little time in the office and that flexibility? Yes. And, you know, I got <laughs> I forgot about that, that phrase, if, if uh, everybody's going to want it. Yep. I remember that now. <laughs> and it always makes me think of, imagine if that was your client. And you were saying, what if everyone wants it? Well, then we call that a win. <laughs> Why can't we cast that same, you know, uh, mindset to our employee population? If everybody wants it, well, gee, isn't that a good thing? So, um, but no, I think uh, 
yeah, there's plenty of employees who want to spend time in the office. Some people don't even have a place to work from home. They are not at all interested in working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and other employees, especially people, you know, you, uh, new in their career, it's so important for them to be on site and to connect with, you know, people inside the organization and get that face-to-face time and develop those relationships because we know they don't develop organically in a remote setting, it has to be very intentional and very structured for relationships to become built. So in-person is always easiest. Yeah, I teach a uh, large lecture hall class here at Fisher, uh, Introduction to Marketing, and I did kind of an ad hoc survey and asking the students, what, you know, are you expecting or hoping to work at least remotely or hybrid uh, format? And about 40-some percent of them did. So I often hear from other students, too, that they're looking for maybe solely a remote or hybrid opportunities. How realistic is that? Well, it's very realistic. Really, at this time, almost 75% of organizations offer hybrid options. So it's it, it really depends on the position. The first question, of course, they want to ask themselves is, does my position work in a remote situation? You know, if, if you are a client-facing individual, and face-to-face matters, then, you know, you it's no longer a discussion point. Um, and then the second option is, um, is the position that you're after, is it, uh, is it a hard-to-fill position or, or are there a whole bunch of people clamoring for that position? And that will help you, you know, determine that if you want um, hybrid or remote work, um, how likely are you to get it based on the position that you're pursuing? And I always encourage... Um, people who are seeking to ask that question first. Don't wait till you're halfway through the application process. Get If, if that is on your list of priorities in your career um, journey, then make it a priority when you're seeking and, and ask right away. Don't wait. Yeah. So how about uh, students are about to enter into a remote or hybrid environment. Uh, what are some recommendations and advice you could give them for how to be successful in that type of environment? Like, how can they be successful working remotely or hybrid within the organization? Right. Well, it's like I said, it's, it is a different skill sets. Things happen more organically when people are face to face. Um, even if we look back over the pandemic, the whole onboarding experience over these last three years for new hires has been less than optimal. And for some reason, um, that has been kind of carried over. And the reason it happened is people who are coming on remotely, fully remotely, and now coming on hybrid, managers don't necessarily have the skill set to foster the relationship that they need. So this is what I like to tell individuals who are just beginning their journey um, inside their organization. And that is, um, if you feel disconnected, if you feel like, you are not getting what you need from your new organization. Um, you must remember that you are the master of your experience. You are completely in charge of what you experience inside the workplace. And if you are not feeling connected, then you have to change it. You know, you will, maybe you're going to join employee resource groups. Maybe you're going to find out if there's a mentorship program. Maybe you're going to, you know, there's opportunities, but I want to hear what David has to say too. Yeah, so I I think it's dead on. And the funny thing is, this same advice doesn't matter if you're remote or in the office. It's that connection with your boss or your supervisor. 
And when you have meetings with them and they ask you, all right, what else do you need? If you don't tell them what else you need or where you're lacking or what other skills you need or other resources, they're not going to be mind readers. They won't know that. So it is owning your own career and making those asks. And it, and actually, it's funny, Kathy and I chatted last week about this, is um, that today's generation, these our students coming up, they were forced to work remotely through COVID. Right? They went through a very different experience in college. And mm-hmm. I remember when we got sent home in 2020 with my classes, and they had to do presentations, and they were bummed about it. But I said to all the groups, and they had to do case presentations i said you're actually learning a skill that is going to be useful for the rest of your career you're you're being sort of forced to learn how to do this zoom thing and interactive or virtual meetings whereas your fellow students that have graduated before you don't have this experience so it's a learning thing and it sets them up to be um, more successful within the organization and the whole issue around covid was you know, I think I saw the stat, Kathy, is, you know, during COVID, it was something like 70% of all the workplaces in the United States, basically everyone was remote, 100%, mm-hmm. right? And, and it yeah. goes back also to what Kathy's talking about is, depends on your job. If you're client-facing, service-facing, equipment-based, then you have to be there. Um, and then it's dropped down since then. And now I think I saw, recently I saw a study from, uh, from Stanford that I think it's around 28, 29% of workplaces are um, offering the hybrid option. And so I think part of the lesson here was organizations learned that, yes, people can be productive because they were forced to go home, right? They had to do it. And the top performers continue to be top performers. And the lower performers continue to be lower performers. It has nothing yeah. to do with being <laughs> remote. It's Whoever really knew what they're doing and where they could add value would continue to do that. Would that be fair, Kathy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. People, it, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily matter where they're working. Um, their performance is all about their skill set and their knowledge and their mm-hmm. ability to execute. So we talked a little bit about maintaining and building that relationship with your supervisor. How about when you're working cross-functionally? How do you, what are some recommendations of connecting and building relationships with peers, whether those peers are in your department or cross-functionally, uh, in order to be successful in your position when working when remotely? You're, yeah, when you're in a dispersed workplace, the number one word is intentional. You have to be intentional. And that means you have to put it I don't get much done until I put it in my calendar. If it's in my calendar, I get it done. So we're not having these impromptu conversations in the hallway as readily as we did in a pre-COVID workplace. So we have to schedule ourselves. We have to reach out to colleagues and say, hey, let's connect. I want to hear how you're doing. I know your daughter got married. I mean, you you just have to um, lean into building these relationships. They're not going to happen as organically as they would if you were all in the same place, bumping into each other. I'd like to add to this, and this just reminded me of a story. So this is even before Microsoft. This is back in the mid-90s when I was at Purdue University working in HR and business services. Our, our legal rep for HR he lived in Indianapolis, and he would come to West Lafayette two or three days a week. And he made a point every day that he was in there 
to come and meet with me or anybody else that he had been working with, just to sort of check in. It was intentional that led, wanted us to know, hey, he was here, hey, he's working on this, what else is he missing? So that's what reminded me to say that intentionally. He made this intentional effort whenever he was there, as everyone knew he was there. And it wasn't just to chit-chat about the games or the weather. It was, here's the stuff I'm working on, and you know, or here's the stuff your issues are. Uh, how do we move forward on this? I love that point about intentionality, because uh, that's a reoccurring theme. And mm-hmm. actually, we had a, did a similar episode uh, right before this, and that came up too. So I, I love that that's a reoccurring theme. Um, how about like prof- maintaining professionalism while working remotely? Uh, my concern is that, Students uh, about to enter the workforce uh, are used to COVID where they might have their camera off during, an as- uh, during a synchronous session. They might be sitting on their bed in their bedroom while they're uh, in class. And they may be expecting that sort of level of informality as they enter the workforce. How would you align their expectations appropriately? Mm, you know, um, that's such a good question. And I've actually just uh, been working with a client in DC who's truly struggling with people um, and their dress code. <laughs> they're just, they're not complying. And so when we've written a whole new dress code. Um, but I really recommend that when you start a new job, you're going to go through that orientation process. But really, the power of observation is going to be your, your best tool. What's everybody else doing? If you want to, you know, we all want to fit in. We all want to belong. I think it's, um, I think it's hard to start a new job. It's like bringing all your tools with you and you have no idea what you're going to be building. And there's a lot to learn, not just about the job, but about the culture. How do I fit into the culture? So, um, when in doubt, I, my second piece of advice for anyone new in a new position is just ask questions and really crystallize the expectations. Oftentimes people are hesitant because I, well, I don't want them to think I'm stupid or I don't want to ask too many questions. And it's just like, you, you will do yourself a disservice if you don't just lay it out there and say, boy, you know, what is the expectation? I see everybody is dressing in a variety of <laughs> manners. Um, you know, what, what is in the policy? You know, how just always check, always ask and, uh, and clarify those expectations. You know, I want to uh, take a little bit of a left turn. I mean, it's a related topic, but it's in, it's a term I just recently come across, but I was familiar with the concept. In fact, David and I were talking before we started recording that uh, you know we we've seen this happening for the past ten or fifteen years in for independent contractors, but now it's for full time employees. This accommodations of like hot desking. Yeah, so you don't have a dedicated workspace. You come in, you kind of claim your workspace for that day. Um, how prevalent is that, and how can hybrid workers make sure that they're effectively using hot testing and not ruffling feathers in any sort of way? What is the <laughs> what, what is kind of the culture around hot desking? Well, as human beings. I've been on so many of this conversation. We call it free choice seating. We try to put a rainbow over it and make it attractive. <laughs> it's like lipstick on a pig. Nobody wants <laughs> Sorry. Um, but but um, what, what we find is that human beings tend to go to the exact same place that they go to. So if you are doing free choice seating or hot desking, um, it's very important to know where people are sitting so you don't take their spot, even though, even though it, it could be open. Um, but, it, you know, I think it's going to take, uh, 
actually we're probably over this this was pre-covid that makes me laugh is because people were so married to their location and their desk and their things and their plants and their pictures and you know but now that we're mm-hmm. really more mobile mm-hmm. um people are are a bit more accepting and um i think it provides a great opportunity for people to experiment with different um locations in the desk there's lots of different types of offices to use so david it looks like you have some thoughts on that i, I just i think it's funny and i, I was going to suggest to john is i think we should implement this in our classrooms because the students all come in and sit in the exact same spots for every <laughs> class that we should implement like every week you come in different spot you can't sit there again. Start moving around. Get yeah. them used to My spot to, was middle left. Yeah, you don't own that spot. Go sit over here because you'll see things differently. You hear things differently, right? So mm-hmm. I even did a seating chart for my MBA class just a couple weeks ago. And you'd have thought I asked them to walk the plank. Like it was some punishment. And it was like I needed to know who's who was who and I needed names on it. But it literally took 10 minutes for them to figure out. And I had pictures, I had charts, I had seats, numbers, and uh, yeah, it was like a huge deal. Now, a couple of weeks into it, they're fine, but... Yeah, I've heard some reports from... Mm-hmm. Uh, so I work a lot in uh, with some CPG firms in my role here at Fisher and also with Amazon. And Amazon has had, uh, employees have to come to office, back to the office for a couple of days a week. And one of my uh, colleagues there told me a story about like there are people who try to stay claim to the same workspace day mm-hmm. after day mm-hmm. and leave their mm-hmm. stuff there overnight while they're not supposed to do that. <laughs> so recommendation out to your students, when, if you are in hot desking, clean out your workspace every night because you don't want to be ruffling feathers with some of your colleagues. Uh, and then there's also heard like a, a major CPG firm, uh, Frito-Lay. They've asked everybody to come back in the office but they also got rid of so much office spaces when yes. everybody comes back in, there's not enough work sta- uh, workspaces to hot desk at. So the, the, yeah. the employer has to be prepared to, be, uh, to accommodate this also. Can I, I want to follow up on this, John. This just made me think about this. So, Kathy, what's your experience with um, – because the other side of a business going to more remote work and hybriding is hybrid workspace is it decreases the real estate costs. Like if they don't have to buy new buildings or lease new buildings or build new buildings or even downsize, are you seeing that as part of the, uh, I don't know, push or emphasis like, hey, this is actually a good thing? For organizations who are in a real estate position, so that means they don't have 15-year leases, they're all doing that. They're all dumping their space for sure. Mm -hmm. And um, But organizations who have these long real estate obligations or who are owning buildings, those are the ones that are more likely to mandate and demand because, you know, I got to pay for it. You better use it. So it's uh, it's interesting. But that real estate is definitely. Yeah. Progressive uh, Insurance here in Cleveland, Ohio, mm -hmm. they've got rid of some of their uh, office space. REI, a couple of years ago, just finished a beautiful palatial new headquarters and never moved into it. They they sold Mm -hmm. it before there's. The employees ever got to move into it? Wow! Yeah, wow. yeah. No, real. I don't know. Corporate real estate is going to be the next collapse. I think. Yeah. I don't All right. Know. So, uh, Kathy, you mentioned that uh, a lot of your corporate clients right now and are kind of landing in this middle place about hybrid. Um, so, uh, I, I, I kind of trepidatious about going into this area, but like, what happens if there's a recession? 
Now, and I'm not going to say the word again, because if I say the R word more than uh, two times, I think it actually happens. It's like some sort of magical thing that happens. It's some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. But say we do have an economic downturn. How does that potential shift in the pendulum of the labor market and who's got the power, how might that impact these work accommodations? Well, you know, I don't know why. It is true. But the majority of executives that I have worked with have an office office first mindset. They just love that. They just want people in so bad. And so when the power is back in their court, they will strengthen their mandates. I already I have a client right now said financial services, New York City. Um, they, they they're on their fourth iteration of return to office. They were hard <laughs> three days a week and then they went soft two days a week and then they were um, medium going, you can pick, you can pick your days, but you've got to be at least three days. And now they're back into this very, all the communications are being rewritten again, saying you have to come back. You have to come back three days a week. So, um, as long as the, wherever the power lands, that's who's going to have the mandate right now in those hard to fill positions, those engineers, those, you know, that are impossible to find, you write your own ticket. And for other positions where there's a million, you know, um, applicants for one job, it's you do what we say. So, yeah, if I could add to that, too, John, I mean, one of the issues that every company deals with is the overwhelming majority. Maybe it's in the 98 percentile. Um, their number one budget item is uh, payroll, salary and benefits. So when they are suffering any kind of recession or oops, sorry, I hate to say it now. Yeah. Um, financial difficulty, one of the easiest ways to cut costs is cut employees. And so the right approach that Kathy and I both have for consulting is, well, you choose the people that aren't adding value to the company, right? The fear is, oh, we've got these, you know, a couple thousand people that are remote, um, especially if they're fully remote, that's the easiest thing to get rid of. But what's missing is, Maybe they're your really high contributors, like they add a ton of value to the company. And that's where the, the money side of the business may get a little blinded as, oh, this is neat. They're not here. We don't even have to see them, right? It's, we'll just let them know you're no long. It's like office space. You're no longer going to get a paycheck. We don't even have to deal with you, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the uh, concerns. I think any company struggles with this. And I would go back to good management is – knowing who's doing what, who's adding value, and regardless of where they physically are, right? And if they, it only takes them 20 hours a week to get the job done, and someone's working 70 hours a week and doing the same amount of work, well, the problem's not with the person working 20 hours a week, it's the person that's working 70. Like, they're, they're missing something, right? So that, that's a management issue and a leadership issue. Anyways, just my two cents. Mm-hmm. No, you're right, David. It is a, when organizations mandate it's a work nine times out of 10. It is a workforce reduction strategy. Mm-hmm. If you, you don't lay them off. You just say, IBM did this how long ago? The early 2000s, the IBM used to be, I'm by myself. That's what it stood for. And all of a sudden they said, everybody come <laughs> I hadn't back heard that before. to the office. <laughs> we have a big presence in Minnesota. And, um, that, and they got rid of 25% of their workforce by saying no more remote work. You're all coming back to the office. 25% just went by. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's, anyways. 
it's something. <laughs> so, Kathy, any sort of parting advice or insights you can offer for our soon-to-be or our currently young professionals out there along these lines of hybrid slash remote work? Yeah, you know, if having flexibility, I said this a little earlier too, if, if having flexibility in where, when, and how you work is at the top of your list, if, 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 if that is your dream job, then number one, don't wait when you interview with an organization, ask yep. up front and make mm-hmm. it part of your search criteria. Use um, flexjobs.com is a great place. They, they list flexible jobs. That's a nice place to look for a job if that's your priority. And then also um, look at Glassdoor. If you aren't familiar with that, glassdoor.com, go do research on the organizations you're interested in and find out what their employees, their current employees and past employees are saying about them. It's very enlightening. Yeah, the one thing I might add to that too is just be prepared that the pendulum may swing back the other way. So don't move out to Idaho and thinking you're going to be able to work for anybody. (laughs) Because situations may change. David, do you have any parting advice? Actually, I think it's a good point. I mean, I know some people during the pandemic just moved. Like a lot of people left Columbus because they're Mm -hmm. like, my job's totally remote. I'm going to go down to North Carolina. And they move. And then the company says, well, we need you back. Right? So you've lost your flexibility now. So as you know, you could still buy a house in North Carolina and it's your, you know, your vacation home. But once you make that full-time commitment, you're, you're not flexible, right? And so, and companies have the right, in essence, to say, we need you to come into the office, especially if there's a business reason around it, right? So it's not a, a right of the employee to say, no, no, you said I could do flexible work arrangements. Um, I have to come back. And then it's up to the employee to decide, do I want to come back or not? Right, and if the company's changed so much or flip-flopped on their culture, that's also a sign of, geez, maybe this is not the place I want to work at. Right, if they constantly are f- bouncing back and forth, I need to find a place that better fits what my skill sets are and how I, I'm most effective. And I'll just offer this real quick. I I did a focus group with my son, uh, one so I have data of one right. And he's a 26-year-old. He's a mechanical engineer, and he works for a, a company out in Phoenix. And they have their, their hybrid schedule is one day a week. They don't have to come in the office. Now, they have a schedule of it's every Friday. So anybody that's going to do the, the hybrid work, Friday is the day they don't come in. And so I've asked him, like, how do you like this? He's like, it's fantastic, right? It's really good. Everyone knows when people are going to be in. And, and, and I also asked him, like, do you value coming in the office? He's, and as a young career person, he's like, yes, I love, you know, I value and have learned a lot of coming in, being able to talk to my boss, my coworkers, my colleagues, kind of the random conversations you might have in the hallway. Well, John, that's how we actually came on this topic. I ran into you in the hallway coming out of the elevator and said, hey, I, I know you got this podcast. I have this idea. So there is some sort of, you know, kismet thing that happens with it as well. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank our guests today, Kathy Katcher, president and co-founder of The Smart Workplace, and David Thompson from the Fisher College of Business. We greatly appreciate you both taking the time today to sit down for Career Q and to help us sort through this ever-changing workplace. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Kathy. It's good to catch up with you again. It's good to see you. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Kathy. Please check the webpage for additional related links and the resources on this topic. Career EQ is brought to you by the Fisher College of Business at The Ohio State University. We like to thank our production crew, including our producer, Doug Carraway, for making this possible, and the Office of Career Management, dedicated to supporting our business school students in the launch of their careers. See you next time at Career EQ.